Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. When I was 10 years old in 1978, the coolest guy in the world was the leather jacket wearing motorcycle riding star of a sitcom set in the 1950s. And the funniest guy in the world was a none too bright high school student in another sitcom named Vinnie Barbarino. So when I found out that the guy who played Vinnie Barbarino was going to put on a leather jacket and act in a movie musical set in the 50s, needless to say, I was all in. Now, as you probably know, the reason we're digging into this movie is because of the tragic loss of one of its stars, Olivia Newton-John. But Grease is anything but tragic. It's a fun, silly, joyous, and absolutely captivating musical with great songs, great performances, and some very iconic characters. And John and I thought the only way to capture the joyous spirit of this fantastic musical is to go live with the conversation on our YouTube channel this Sunday, September 4th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Now, if you haven't seen this fabulous film, you better move like Grease Lightning to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Grease along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. Then head to our YouTube channel on Sunday, September 4th at 5 p.m. Pacific time as we go live to honor Olivia Newton-John and the movie that made her an international star, Grease. <laughs> Thank you.
everybody, and welcome to this week's episode, well, this month's episode, rather, of the <laughs> Cinephiles Live, our uh, monthly show that we do here from the Cinephiles, where we talk about a film that we don't think is going to get the Cinephiles treatment, possibly, um, but one that we want to talk about. But also, this is also a special one, because normally we do our tributes, and we record tributes, as we did earlier this week for Luke, uh, for Godard. We recorded a tribute, then we release an episode. But this is kind of the first time I think we've ever done a live Cinephiles episode where we also offer up our tribute to someone who has passed away and graced our lives. And that is the dame, and she is a dame, Olivia Newton-John. Uh, I am the outlaw John Roken, joined as always by my Cinephiles co-host Steve Morris. Steve, how are you? And how do you think about us tackling Greece and, of course, Olivia Newton-John? Well, first of all, Greece is the word. It is the word. It's always the word. Second of all, now you just put an image in my head of me physically tackling Olivia Newton-John. And I was like, <laughs> she's a very slight person. I don't think that seems like a really nice thing to do. She's an Aussie, uh, though. I don't know. That's true. I don't trust the Aussies. They're tough. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm very saddened by the reason she was, you know, a bunch of the people that we've had yeah. tributes to were in their 90s. I think, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Godard was 91. She was not. She was younger, and it, it really is sad. And, and I know that she had, you know, multiple battles with cancer and all that. So it is a tragedy. And it is also growing up in the, you know, in the late 70s and then the 80s, man, Olivia Newton-John was huge. Absolutely. She was someone that, like, you knew from the beginning. Um, the first time you heard her voice, there was something distinctly unique and different about her approach she's one of these australians that kind of came over here and became a sensation on her own she was very well established before she even thought about doing acting and so she came oh, yeah. from a bit of a more of an advantageous position than some other actors might come into uh, becoming an actor in the 1970s and the 1980s she was very clear that i'm pretty successful in this arena i don't really need to but I'm willing to open the door to the possibility of acting. Uh, and uh, thank God she did, because certainly we've got one iconic film from her uh, that uh, is an incredible film, Grease, and a film that features her singing some fantastic songs, a, a film that has a song that was written specifically for her that earned the only the film's only Oscar nomination. And this film was the highest, is, I think still is, the highest grossing musical ever and, at, and was the highest grossing film of the year in 1978. So clearly her presence in the film was massive because people, I think, hardly knew John Travolta. He had not, by the time, the, I think by the time the film had come out, I guess they had known him from Saturday Night Fever, but this had been cast before Saturday Night Fever and Travolta was still on Welcome Back, Carter. So you're catching, this film kind of catches Travolta on the ascendancy to superstardom and Olivia Newton-John had already been successful as a singer uh, in the 1970s. So she was pretty well known uh, around the world. So an interesting combination to make this happen. But um, <clears throat> before we go any further, to remind you all, we have the Streamlabs and Super Chats open. If you want to send in some support as we go along talking about Greece, uh, the Streamlabs address, I will put it in the chat in just a second and pin it there. Uh, it's also uh, in the description of the video, so send in uh, your Streamlabs uh, uh, contributions there or send in your Super Chats. We'll check them throughout uh, the discussion. Steve, do you want to start with the movie or would you like to keep talking about Olivia Newton-John, which I'm happy to do? Um, uh, it's uh, You're the boss, I'd say. Okay. I, yeah, I mean, which would you prefer? 
I say I say we start with Olivia Newton John. Let's lay the groundwork for Olivia Newton John, and we will get into the movie. We've got fourteen of you watching us live. We appreciate you taking a break from the NFL Sunday to hang out with us. Please hit a like on this video as you do so, and if you're watching later, hit a like on this video and uh, and leave a comment as well for sure. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, Olivia Newton John, a British Australian singer, she won. She's a four time Grammy Award winner. She had numerous. Uh, she had two number one albums, many top ten hits. Uh, let me uh, re- let me tell you about some of them. What I I honestly love you. Uh, now the nineteen seventy four hit, physical. Of course, in the nineteen eighties, she kind of reimagined herself completely with a bunch of new hits. Uh, let me be there. If you love me, let me know. Have you never been mellow, Sam? And of course, hopelessly devoted to you from Greece. A little more love from nineteen seventy eight. Even twist of fate which was not the best reunion of Travolta and Newton-John as a film, uh, elicited a good song in Twist of Fate. And, of course, Magic uh, and Xanadu from her 1980 film Xanadu with the late, great Gene Kelly uh, there as well. But she, as, as Steve mentioned, she battled cancer, breast cancer three times. She was a, an activist for envi- environmental and animal rights. Uh, she passed away in California, Santa Inez oh, Valley. Uh, she was 73 years old, but certainly making her way in a film, in a, in a sorry, in an industry music wise, um, that isn't too kind to women. She found her path. She found her way. She uh, kind of carved her path. And then, of course, as I said, making the jump into acting. She didn't, you know, she didn't elicit these incredible films, but certainly you just have to do one that leaves a massive legacy for you. And if you do one and it's the highest grossing musical ever, ever, it certainly speaks. And you're the star of it. You're one of the co-stars of it, or the co-leads of it, rather. It certainly speaks volumes about your ability and about people's affection for you all these years later. And they have been doing Grease tributes oh, yeah. all the time, Steve, for years. So certainly this is a woman who elicits a very strong reaction from a number of people, for sure. She's one of those people that elicits that nice energy that feels authentic. Yes. You know? Yeah, I, I think in a weird way, she's there's certain people that have massive success in a really popular thing and then kind of get punished for it. And yeah. I feel like she's one of those people because like I, I, I don't know about you. I'd never seen her or not that I didn't know who she was before Greece. Oh, and maybe okay. I'd, I'd heard songs on the radio, but it wasn't right. it, Greece was what really brought her to my attention. Mm-hmm. And then she blew up so huge. Yeah. And then because things like Let's Get Physical were both hugely successful as a pop song and a music video. I mean, that music yeah. video, yeah, that was so. that was very much in the 80s, but it yeah. also was made fun of a lot. Yes. You know what I mean? And this, and then you have Xanadu, which, as you mentioned, I, that is, I think, the last film performance of Gene Kelly. Yes, it is. Um, and it is uh, not that great a movie. No. And and again, that you know, you when you have huge success and then become a little bit the butt of a joke, it's got to be a rough place to put a career because Greece is. I mean, yeah, she worked on it for that's a couple of months of her life that she worked yeah. on that. That's yeah. not the totality of who she was. And I think she was actually a much deeper person mm-hmm. that maybe we didn't get to see as much of because of you know being a pop sensation for that th- those years. You know, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we saw, you know, she was <coughs> sorry, she understood how to make the change in the 1970s. Very much soft rock songstress. And then around the end of the 1970s, kind of like Sandy at the end of the movie, she makes this little bit of an adjustment to kind of embrace a harder approach. I mean, for for soft rock, a harder approach 
And you're right, physical. Even though the video is all about working out, the song is very much not about working out <laughs> in that way. Um, uh, and uh, Magic, which is a really great song. She yeah. even has this fantastic song that she did as a duet with Cliff Richard called Suddenly, which is a, a great duet. And there were a lot of great duets in the 19, late 1970s and into the 1980s on the soft rock or AM rock uh, channels that were so good. And you can tell her skill at doing all these different types of songs. She's able to adjust her voice and lend the right um, vibe or mood or atmosphere to these songs. And so she was so great at doing that. You compare Hopelessly Devoted to You within Greece to uh, Tell Me About It, Stud. It's like two different people, yeah. right? And that's the whole thing with Olivia. And I compare it to Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton, the same thing. She Initially, when she started out, it was all these love ballads, these soft rock type of things. And then she gets with Prince and all of a sudden it makes this change to Strut and Sugar Walls and um, uh, you've got the look, the one she did, the duet she did with Prince. So she makes this adjustment um, and even you could throw in the Bee Gees, right? The Bee Gees, who are, of course, connected to John Travolta forever for Star Night Fever, same thing, right? They became the butt of the joke and then eventually live long enough to become reappreciated in the 1990s and had a string of hits in the 1990s all the way up till now. Uh, and there's a fantastic documentary that HBO Max did recently that you all should watch on the Bee Gees. And we had uh, the gentleman who worked on one of the sound, as the sound designer. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. On, on the, so great so I, I look forward to hopefully one day getting just as great of an olivia newton john documentary about her and what she navigated and what she worked through and how she like kind of adjusted her fame and used it for these uh positive causes like environments yeah. and animal environmental issues and animal rights yeah i i think the Bee Gees is a perfect example of this too of like yeah. people want to punish success particularly Oh, yeah. huge popular success and you know the the way that the world turned on disco in oh, our yeah. youth you know was just and and obviously the bgs are the pinnacle of who got turned on yeah it's just it's just absolutely crazy and the, and the thing with i think people like olivia newton john they just got swept up in cultural movements in a way yeah. for no particular reason and one thing i have to say She's got one of those voices. Her voice is just oh, yeah. got a purity to it yeah. and a loveliness to it. And it's funny thinking about the contrast between her as a singer and Travolta as a singer. Yeah. Because Travolta can sing. I mean, he's a good singer. I don't think he's a great singer. But what right. I do think is that he is a great personality when he sings. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like he brings his comedy and his acting to his singing. Yeah. And she brings her singing and that beautiful quality of her voice to her acting. You know, it's a kind of a different thing. And, yeah. and my understanding is... I don't think she did act before Greece. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. She was very hesitant about it. She had tried some, I think she'd been in something before Greece and it wasn't received that well. So she wasn't sure if she wanted to take the role of Sandy in Greece. In fact, she told them that she wanted a screen test. That's wow. a rarity where the yeah. actress who's being offered the role says, no, no, no. I want a screen test for this with the person I'm going to be with to see if I want to commit myself, as you said, Steve, over the next couple of months to this project, you know? And um, so she was, she's the one who put herself on the line, kind of did it backwards in a way. Yeah. And so that she could feel comfortable doing it. And once again, she could demand that because she was a name and she was a successful yeah. singer. And so why not use your cachet a little bit to get into a more comfortable situation? If you're going to take a chance on something like this. Yeah. And I love, by the way, that they kept the Australian accent. 
Like yes. she, I think when she came in, she tried to do an American accent. And, and yes. of course, I'd never seen Grease the musical before seeing the movie. So right. in my mind, this is just an Australian character. And I think it works great. Yeah. I think it really works for the film. Yeah. She had done a film called Tomorrow in 1970, which is Dying Aliens Kidnapped the Pop Group Tomorrow, whose, special, whose social musical instruments vibrations are needed for their race to survive. So you might wonder <laughs> you know wow why. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and there was another film in 1965 called funny things happened down under a group of children in an australian country town are trying to raise money to save their clubhouse they make a bunch of christmas puddings to sell to passing motorists but are a complete failure so they start bottling mineral water so these are not groundbreaking films. No. Neither one of these two <laughs> things. So the fact that she didn't act in anything in, uh, after 1970 until Greece in 1978 speaks volumes about the fact that she was very, very hesitant about it, as you mentioned, Steve. And then really, after Xanadu, there's two of a kind, but there's you know, there's really not that many things after that other than her music videos. And then she did some TV movies in the 1990s and popped up in certain shows like ned and stacy and and what have you and the betty betty bet midler show and what have you so she'd pop up at occasionally things but certainly acting she was even in sharknado 5 to give you a little bit of uh and even in the last crocodile dundee film the excellent mr dundee so certainly no problem in the later years after she's gone through the terrible moments you talked about where things have turned on her where she's kind of outlived that a backlash and now she's becoming reappreciated as i said just like the bgs so now she can appear in stuff for fun because her music lives on and she's making money off the music and residuals and what have you and her music is used a lot in a number of films so she's not someone who is just like salieri you know just completely right. forgotten after she's written some great hits so those are positives on so many levels um but when you think of living in john like what comes to you first like is there is there an image? Is there a song? Is there a, is there a performance? Is there a scene? Is there a music video? Um, well, what what pops into your mind first when you think of, of Olivia Newton-John? It's two things. It's okay. it's Greece, and particularly, you know, tell yeah. me about it, stud. At the end, that is such an <laughs> iconic moment. It's a hot and, moment. And by the way, I have to say, rewatching it, there yeah. are a couple of performances in that movie where they just kill the song. And hopelessly devoted to you is absolutely one of them. You mean kill in she, a good way? You mean kill in a good way? way. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. She. That is so good. Her performance there. But yeah. the image in my head is in the leg warmers, and it's let's get physical, man. That's the. Oh, yeah. If you say Olivia yeah. John, that is the first visual that pops into my head. Well, and and that's funny you bring that up because that is groundbreaking. That was absolutely groundbreaking because. Artists at that time, and this is 1980, were not releasing music videos with their music. Yeah, we'd had the Beatles, Paperback Writer, and a couple of those. Those were not necessarily right. considered music videos. It, Olivia Newton-John actually doesn't get enough credit because everyone talks about Gary Newman because that's the first one that popped up on MTV with Cars. But really, Olivia Newton-John doing the three physical – she did three videos for that physical album and then went back and did some videos for her more classic her hits from the past. And that was groundbreaking because artists weren't doing that, you know, and I liken that to Jerry Lewis using the playback monitor for the first time, creating that, you know, like making something industry standard that no one had been doing it. But you see someone really popular do it and do it at a time when they're revamping their image and becoming successful off the revamping speaks uh, really influences people and speaks volumes about her ability to influence people 
to do this. And so the thing I love the most, music video, or one of the things I love the most, music videos, stems from uh, Olivia Newton-John uh, taking a chance on it and really committing to creating these music videos. Ironically, from someone who doesn't didn't necessarily gravitate to acting. So right, it's just right. kind of fascinating to see that. Because some people are really good in their music videos and are terrible on screen in movies or in TV shows. So <clears throat> Madonna. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, anything more to say, Olivia? Like, is there anything you think about as a tribute or anything more you want to touch on before we get into the movie? No, let's let's get in the film. Okay. So this is, as we said, it's a, it, as I said, it's come out in 1978. It is the highest grossing musical Ever. It was the highest grossing music movie of the year that year. Uh, this one really was fascinating because at the time it was cast before Saturday Night Fever. So Greece was in motion before Saturday Night Fever. This is a John Travolta who is coming out, uh, who is still in Welcome Back, Carter, which is a hit. It certainly was a hit. Uh, it wasn't Cheers, but it was certainly a hit. And people knew about it and knew about him. And then Saturday Night Fever really blew up Travolta. And going back, and he went in maybe, I think, a few days after the end of shooting for Saturday Night Fever, he went right into Greece. And this is how this all uh, came about. Randall, Randall uh, uh, Kleisner, who's the director here, um, a lot of interesting battles with Travolta as this was going on, uh, Randall Kleiser, uh, because uh, Travolta, first of all, Travolta doesn't sing. Danny doesn't sing Grease Lightning in the play, in the musical. Right. Because it was an original, it was a stage musical first, then it became... Uh, a movie and Xanadu the reverse film musical first then became a stage play which ran for a very long time stage musical that ran for a long time this was a, a play first and they made some adjustments uh with and and that's one of the adjustments with uh Travolta wanting to sing Grease Lightning Travolta wanted the pompadour like Elvis and in fact Elvis was offered the Frankie Val uh, Frankie Avalon role for Beauty School Dropout and he turned wow. it down and ironically, when they're singing about Elvis, that song they sing about Elvis, that was shot on the day that Elvis died. Wow. So they they shot that, and then the news came out later that day that Elvis had died. So ironic because they changed the um, the the lines and the lyrics from Eddie Fisher to Elvis because it was Eddie Fisher in the original thing. And also the other thing they changed as well is that Sandy is an all American girl named Sandy Dombrowski, but because they cast Olivia Newton John. They had to change her to have Australian origins, and so they changed it to Sandy Olsen, I think, and so she became Australian. That's how they kind of made that all work uh, to, to make the film work. So let's get, Steve, your overall thoughts. First of all, when did you first see Grease, and what is your overall thoughts on Grease now having watched it again in preparation for our live show here? So, so first of all, I have to say that in yeah. the mid seventies, yes, my not just my favorite TV show, but my absolute hero, more than Superman and Captain Kirk, believe it or not, <laughs> Happy Days and the Fonz. Oh, the Fonz! I right. was so obsessed with Fonzie in yeah. 1975, 76 right. that I had a like vinyl fake leather jacket. <laughs> I would ride. I would wear it while I rode around on my Huffy dirt bike. Sure. wearing a Fonzie t-shirt and didn't understand that it was weird to want to look like Fonzie with Fonzie on your chest. <laughs> so because of that, I listened to all this fifties music. I had like a, oh, you know, yeah. because they were merchandising all the time. So I had like right. the happy days record that had a bunch of fifties music. Um, sure. uh, so I really right at this time, love the era. Mm -hmm. And one of my family's favorite TV shows is welcome Got Cotter. So I watched oh, yeah. it all the time. Oh, yeah. So when this movie came out, uh, 
I, my whole family went to see it. I absolutely loved it. And I watched it over and over and over again as a kid. And as I've said many, many times on the show, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And my experience watching it this time was different. I'll just well, put it that way. Yeah. I'm, the film has been accused, uh, you know, of being sexist, of being um, racist or whatever. And, and Olivia Newton-John responded to it and said, everybody needs to chill out a little bit. It's a film shot in the 70s about the 1950s. It's not supposed to be this incredible statement about social issues. It's just a fun little film. Take it for what it is. But that doesn't mean these criticisms are invalid, right? So um, I absolutely, yeah, and we'll get to, we'll definitely get to those criticisms uh, uh, as we go along here. So keep going, Steve. Sorry. No, that, 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 that was my main thing. I mean, watching oh, it this okay. time. So I, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I knew yeah. I loved it as a kid. Yeah. And so I asked my son, hey, come on, we're going to watch this movie together. <laughs> he, he was very resistant, which is not yeah. unusual for my kid. He, that is a normal sort of, you know, resistance is not futile with him. <laughs> so there was some bribery involved. Oh, okay. And, and there was, there was a bribery to watch 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Okay, okay. And then there was additional bribery to watch the whole film. Wow. And, 20 yeah look man parenting is hard yeah, and no again thanks. i go to could you, like if your dad said he wanted to sit down and watch a movie with you you would be like yeah dad you yeah. know because my dad was working all the time i didn't oh, get yeah. to hang out with my dad that is not the situation in my house and so we watch it and he hated it and oh, was begging to be out of it and the word he used to describe it was dad this is so cringy this is the cringiest of cringe, Dad. Um, and so he watched, I think he watched a half hour of it. Yeah. And so okay. the, my experience in watching it, there was a little bit of seeing it through my son's eyes. And I was like, yeah, I see why what you're saying here. Um, it was it was not the best viewing uh, of a movie I've ever had. Fair enough. Well, you? For, uh, for me, uh, it was one of those films that our parents took us to the theater to go see. My dad was a big Travolta fan. I was a Travolta fan because of Welcome Back, Cotter. I was... At that age where I watched those sh those uh, episodes religiously, I loved Gabe Kaplan. Uh, I'm still one of those people that saw Fast Break in the movie theaters. I, I so to me, <clears throat> Welcome Back, Hotter was that's who those guys were cool. The Sweat Hogs were cool. Oh yeah, you know, Ron Paillo, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, uh, Robert. Uh, oh God, I can't remember his last name. Robert uh, something who played uh, uh, Epstein. You know they were they were such an incredibly cool crew of guys who were so like did their own thing were rebellious in their own way yet stuff stuff always kind of seemed to work out for them and there was something about travolta right like just even as a kid i knew there was something about travolta he was good looking he was cool he was skinny he was like so just had that energy you mentioned the fonts yeah there was something about henry winkler and the fonts and ironically henry winkler was offered the role of danny zuko and turned it down because he said i didn't want to typecast myself as yet another guy wearing a leather jacket. And remember, <clears throat> he had been in Lords of Flatbush. So clearly, yeah, he, had, he did not want to do this, and he can't sing. So that was another reason why Winkler, he did not want to put himself through singing lessons. He's not a singer. So it opened the door for Travolta to grab the role. And I remember my parents took our entire family to go see this film, and I loved it from beginning to end. Because I'm a musicals guy and yeah. a Travolta guy, it just worked for me so well. And yeah, I remember, you know, people have Princess Leia as one of their first crushes. I never felt that way about Leia, but I did about Olivia Newton-John as Sandy when she came out in the leather pants. Sweet Mary, mother of God. Yeah. I didn't know that was possible. And that was my first crush. You know, other people had Farrah Fawcett posters on their walls in the 1970s and 80s. And for me, it was 
Olivia Newton-John in those leather pants. It just had, if for, as a young kid, you're just like, oh my God, what are these feelings in my body? And why am I sweaty? You know, what is this all about? <laughs> she was that, but, but, you know, obviously as, but it wasn't just that, obviously it was the songs that were great. The energy of the movie, everybody in the cast was so good. And ironically, the cast, almost everybody was in their late 20s or early 30s Yeah, cast as high school students. The youngest person in the cast is Lorenzo Lamas at 19 years old. That's how he was the youngest person. I think Travolta is 21 or 22 at this time. Uh, uh, Living John is older than him. Conway's up there as well, and the rest of the cast is up there. Uh, and so I just remember loving the movie for the music, for the energy, for the vibe. Um, the ending of it, it was always so weird. We Go Together was great. And then all of a sudden they just take off in yep. the in the thing. And so there have been so many theories about why they take off, like that Danny actually died in the um, <laughs> in the race. And so everything that happens after that is all Danny's uh, uh, dream fulfillment. Sandy changing and dressing like that. Uh, everybody coming back together and loving each other again, including uh, Kanicki and Rizzo uh, and them flying off into the clouds into this in this magic car because remember the car all of a sudden which was which they had no money to fix the car all of a sudden right. the car looks like it did in the uh, fantasy of grease lightning so a lot of people have speculated so as i've gotten older i've been even more fascinated with the film looking at it from that angle but the songs are fantastic they're timeless they're so well sung and they they fit the vibe of the movie so well and the story itself you know this idea of wanting to improve yourself uh, with wanting to go to beauty school, wanting to improve yourself by get, getting better grades, wanting to, you know, kind of come to terms with the fact that being cool isn't going to lead you to a happy life. Trying to be cool all the time is going to cost you someone really great. You know, that whole idea when he's confronted by Sandy initially, when Rizzo pulls her aside because he thought he'd lost Sandy forever. And so the, the, all these things really come into play here in such a fantastic way that by the end of the movie, you're so in love with these characters, at least I was, that I love this ending and love where we end up. And of course, they've got funny shots at Eugene, the nerds from, and that's how it was in the 1950s. That's accurate. Uh, the jock is played for a dumb jock. Once again, those are stereotypical caricatures that were used back then. But Travolta, you know, Danny Zuko is not a cool guy in terms no. of trying to do sports or trying to do all those things. He's really only cool because the people he hangs around with those guys aren't necessarily that cool. Even Kaniki, who's probably the coolest of the crew, the other dudes are kind of nerdy. So it's kind of ironic that they would make fun of Eugene. Um, so, yeah. So overall, just a film that I really, really enjoyed. And, and yeah, from the male and female side of things, because I think the lady, the, the, the lady, uh, is it the pink ladies, they're the casting top to bottom is fantastic on them as well. Oh, yeah. Great, great chemistry between them and also talking about woman issues talk i mean the whole look at me i'm sandra d that the lyrics there speak volumes uh you know about the female experience in the 1950s seen through 1970s eyes you know there, there, there's so much here and so much that you mentioned sorry and, i just went and, on for and, a whole diatribe no 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 I, i've if look if i didn't enjoy a john roca diatribe <laughs> then this podcast would have ended a long time ago That's it's one of my point. favorite things <laughs> oh my god yeah, i only hope that my diatribes are appreciated too i mean absolutely, absolutely. you and i both could go off um so the the first thing it is weird to me how strange it is to see how much making fun of people was just oh yeah a huge part of humor you yes. know that was just 
anyone who is weak or different or you know you just we would make fun of them and that yep. and and we would laugh at that and that was what it was and honestly that is all of human history until yes. the last you know 20 years has that started to change and yeah. and i think it's it, so so but it was weird watching it i think the stuff with the pink ladies that you mentioned that yeah. was in, in a weird way groundbreaking too yeah you know to watch this kind of all female it's, it's so funny it it it, uh, it doesn't i think it kind of passes the bechtel test you know okay. it's like these are women talking yes they're talking about guys but right. they're really talking to each other about uh, about who, who we are and what it is to be a, a woman and and yeah. should you try new things and be daring and break the rules or not break the rules i mean that's not really necessarily guys are part of it but not all of it yeah and i think those scenes and i agree with you all the casting is great. Stalker Channing is fantastic. Oh yeah, so She's, yeah. I, I I also feel like there was a little too much free reign given to the actors of kind of improvise your way through this scene, or you know, it's just there's a lot of one of the things that really surprised me because when I was watching with Jax, I went, yeah, we got to get to Summer Lovin', you know, because that's, right. that's when that that's a it's a great song, yes. it's a really funny song, and that's where you understand what kind of where the movie's going to go yep and it takes a long time to get there yeah and it takes a really long time to get to when danny actually sees sandy for the first time right and i found the movie really slow oh, trying wow. to get to that point yeah i was just okay. like okay come on there's just a lot of chit chat and a lot of little jokes and i was like okay let's get to the the plot you know You're like that's enough chit chat let's get it let's go yes that wow. is exactly how i felt and wow. and what's what's okay. weird is it is it's not like people accuse the movie of okay the guy is a jerk and then the woman has to change and become more like you know what he wants and to have a happy ending and and I don't actually think that's the right criticism. That's not accurate because he tries to change for her in the movie as well. It just the problem is change. his yeah. yeah. The problem is his trying to change. He does he does absolutely try to change. That's yes. why I think that's the wrong criticism. Right. But all he's doing is like punching people. It's such a it's such a bizarre. What do you mean he's, he's he's trying to do sports and he's terrible at it, and because he's got that because he's a emotionally immature guy his reaction is to punch his reaction is to you know uh kind of devolve into the physical reaction to something yes. to try to reestablish dominance or some level of of uh a control in the situation so when you look at it it's psychological remember these are teenagers in high school sure. okay so you look at it uh, in that way it makes sense plus in the 1950s women were conditioned to, not all women, obviously, there were many rebellious women in every decade of sure. the world. But certainly, the overall thought process was: women, you, you know, find a man, get married. That's the pitch, right? Kind of like in Little Shop of Horrors, right? Somewhere that's green. Or that whole song is about the what I've been, what I imagine is the happy life that I've been told: wanting right. a husband, wanting a house, wanting a baby, all of that. And so, certainly here, Sandy is. Plus, she's Australian, so you wonder how much of that factors into the situation. But like. She wants Dan. She wants Danny to put away being this cool shit, so that he can be real with her. But he, she loves him, and so she's willing to change. And she only changes all the way at the end, right at the end, right. And it's only after she sees Danny fail when Danny comes through for Kaniki and fights through all that stuff that she feels like, okay, I, I can do this for him, right. And it's not saying, oh, she's erased who she is as a woman. No, she's adjusted things. 
And by the end of the song, they're equals. And so I, I yeah. get the complaint. I just don't agree with it or see it I, in yeah. the movie. Yeah. I, I'm I'm more with, with you, I think. Yeah. Because the other thing about it is Sandy does want to change. Right. You know, for, throughout the film. It's not it's it, now Danny is a jerk to her right. many, many times, right. but she isn't happy with who she is, you know, from the Sandra D song. Well, both you know? Rizzo and Danny, it's a kind of a one, two punch, right? You've got the strong woman and the woman, the man she's in love with, the guy she's in love with. They're both kind of hitting her from both sides about how she is as a as a person that she's too virginal. She's too nice. Right. She's not you know, she's not. What's the realness? Who are you really, Sandy? Because you're putting yep. on this front. And we want to see who you really are. Yeah. Well, there, I'm going to make the weirdest comparison ever. Yeah. But there is a reason. It's another musical. There is a reason why the Let It Go song from Frozen is so powerful and so powerful to girls is yeah. that that is what it's about. I've yeah. tried to be perfect my whole life. Yes. And now I'm going to try to be myself. You know, so that in, if it if it is a, if the message is, hey, Sandy finally got to be someone she really wanted to be but was too scared to be that's right. cool if right. the message is i don't want to be this but i'm going to pretend to be this more slutty looking character to right. get my guy not cool right. you know i i think part of it is the in terms of like character evolution and stuff like that it yeah. just you know it falls short like because i don't I, I don't see danny actually really if you saw him you hear that he lettered in track but you don't really actually see him make the turn from the guy who's terrible at all this and keeps punching everybody yeah. to the guy who really knuckles down and is really trying. We don't, that's not, that'll sell well, that's off a fair camera. point. That's you a know fair what I mean? Like yeah, we yeah, don't we're... really, and, and I had never thought about, but I think you're right that him driving the car is kind of parts of the evolution of his oh, character. Yeah. I, I hadn't that, I hadn't felt that way. I always loved the sequence. Right. Right. I mean that, that driving in the LA river sequence, that is iconic. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I don't drive by the LA river. I mean, I do now. I literally could look out my window and see the LA river, but, but I, I, it, I think about that all the time when I see the yeah. LA river, that yeah. scene. You well, know? and that scene, apparently they actually shot, you know, cause it's the 1970s. They don't give a fuck about people. Uh, they actually shot uh, in the LA river near that water and the, the splashing of the water got on some of the production crew. A few of them came down pretty gravely ill after shooting oh, wow. that sequence. Cause of course that water's not clean and uh, it's pretty, uh, uh, pretty terrible with full of bacteria and what have you. So it, it's nuts. It's same thing with the, um, oh, not the same thing in the way, but also the uh, the dance sequence, the, all the hop, all of that there with Shana Na, the whole school dance sequence. They had no AC in the buildings, and oh, they geez. shut the doors because they had to kind of light yeah. the place. And so there were more than a few extras that apparently fell out or fainted or passed out and were ha and needed medical assistance while they were shooting those sequences uh i imagine steven spielberg was a bit more aware of that on west side story recently so i'm sure that didn't happen on west side story but here it did and it shot at fairfax high school which is you know here in uh in hollywood in hollywood california i used to live down the street from fairfax high school for a few years and so it was That's always right. nice to walk by it and look at the track where you saw zuko running around acting the fool and lorenzo lamas lamas stepping on that helmet and all of that um as well but you know travolta flexed his power on this film as well as i said he was not supposed to sing grease lighting that's kanicki's song but he told the director i'm singing that song and apparently travolta had done the stage play for a, a while as well kind of in preparation and so when there was a, a line that wasn't working in the script travolta just used the line from the play and more often than not randall kleiser the director went with him 
Um, and so there were battles uh, with between Travolta and Kleiser throughout the film in certain certain ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, you could argue about whether he should have sang Grease Lightning or not, but I think it's perfect for the movie because he's the lead. If he's not a car guy, though, it, sh it logically should be Kanicki since Kanicki is the one working there doing all the stuff. But it does make sense to have your lead in a musical sing this song that is a reference to sex and uh, prophylactics and what have you that was going on. In fact, the wrapping around of the car in uh, – was a, a styrofoam whatever it is that what they call that stuff i don't i don't ran wrapper ran wrap that's it uh was meant to symbolize how men wrapped their penises back <laughs> in the 1950s using saran wrap uh so they wouldn't get women pregnant i don't know if it worked i can't imagine it was pleasurable for well, the woman. Yeah. apparently if he didn't have any saran wrap when it was kanicki and uh rizzo so. yeah well the baby doesn't happen so I don't know. Yeah. Um. I. By the way, yeah. th that symbolism went way above my head when I was ten years old. <laughs> I hope um, so. I hope. Um. It, it's so funny. First of all, I feel really bad for Jeff Conway because because yes. yep. he apparently he had played Danny on Broadway. Yes. He, what I had read was he played every single male part basically in that show except yeah. Kanicki. Right. And then they and then he lost a bunch of his lines. He lost his big song. You know that yeah. that that I feel bad for. I absolutely think that danny should be singing grease lightning yeah or or, or, or it should be a duet with kanicki since they're yeah. kanicki's going to be the driver you know like they could trade back verses that's a very good point that's um but but I, but, but i also know like oh sorry go ahead, go ahead. no uh, go ahead because i was going to change the subject well, i was going to add something to the conway thing um and you know not everything is is roses you know sometimes and the other part of this is that in the in one of the sequences in the film, I think it was uh, the racing sequence, or not the before the racing sequence, or in the dance sequence, he hurt his back. He fell hard on the floor and hurt his back, which is what started his pres uh, his addiction to prescription painkillers, mm. which is what led to his death um, from drug abuse uh, later on in life. So just a just a terrible situation, you know, because I mean, Conaway was great in Taxi. Oh, my God, he was fantastic in Taxi. And I think everybody thought he'd be another leading man into the 1980s. And it never really worked out for him quite in that way, you know, kind of like Joe Piscopo coming out of SNL, just as good as Eddie. But he never became that thing that Eddie became, whereas right. Travolta became that thing that uh, Conway never became. Uh, and it's, unfortunately, this film sadly leads to his death down the road mm. to for his addiction to painkillers. So. Uh, a lot of negative um, uh, uh, negativity attached to Conway, sadly, uh, out yeah. of this uh, experience. You know, even though well, he's great in the movie. Yeah, yeah it, I, it's so funny you mentioned Taxi because a Taxi is a great show. It is and, a fantastic. But show. b, it's like if you go okay, list the, the funniest people on Taxi in order. He is really good, but he's oh, not yeah. that high on my list. Uh -huh. Fair you enough. know, because. I mean, well, you just putting Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, put even put Andy Kaufman aside. Okay, but you know, you got uh, his name just went out of my head. Danny you got Doc Brown. You got Danny DeVito. Judd Hirsch is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tony Danza is really funny in the show. I mean, like the, the like so Conway is amongst in you know, an ensemble of a really funny cast. Yeah. Um, true. The the other thing I was gonna say, like the the changes to the the show, mm. in addition to switching who sings Grease Lightning. Yeah. I mean, raining on prom, prom night is not nearly as good a song as hopelessly devoted to you. I mean, no. there's just no comparison. Right. And, and I think Rainy on Prom Night plays in the background of one of the scenes. It does. Yeah. But like, and the uh, You're the One That I Want, which I also don't think is in the original musical, that is a great song. 
Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I like rain. It's raining on Bram. And and this also took advantage of Shanana. Let's not forget for those of you oh, who yeah. are too young to remember the band in the in the movie during the whole school dance sequence was an actual band that had a variety show, I think on NBC or ABC. Uh, uh, and Shanana was huge. They toured for a long time. Bowser became a video DJ, I think, on VH1 uh, later on in life when they were doing those video, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having those people hosting videos. And so he, he found a second career in doing that. But yeah, that band w- existed for a long time, bringing back oldies and playing them in their way. And they all could legitimately play and sing. This wasn't the Monkees at the beginning. They were all legitimate musicians and singers. So the songs that they get in the soundtrack, I think, are fantastic. Tears on My Pillow is one of my favorite songs yeah. on that soundtrack. Um, you know, it's so great to get because, once again, it's uh, the ascension of Travolta. Shanana was a, a kind of establishing themselves. And after this, they became a household name. Olivia New John already was well known. Conaway was around the time of uh, Taxi. So this is right around that time as well. So there's so much happening here uh, for these, uh, these people around. Stalker Channing, who is still. Someone we look at, I mean, obviously President Bartlett's wife on West Wing, yeah. you know, an actress of some of some uh, strength and power and presence who has who has been doing it for quite some time ever since Greece. And so certainly someone who's uh, attained a level of respect. Didi Khan still worked for a long time afterwards yep. as, like, as like a guest or recurring character uh, for or recurring actress uh, in a number of shows as well. So, you know, this went on for quite some time. A lot of people out of this. And me personally, Barry Pearl is someone I know as a friend of mine. And oh. Barry, Barry, I met through an ex-girlfriend years ago. We connected and became friends because I love Greece so much. We had some great conversations. Barry has always been there at these conventions to celebrate Greece. Uh, he has been performing and directing on stage for many, 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 many years. Very successful man doing all of that. Uh, and one of the sweetest, nicest, awesomest dudes you're ever going to meet. So it's just a weird uh, kind of coincidence in life and a pleasure of mine to know Barry Pearl and That's to occasionally cool. have uh, uh, conversations with him back and forth about stuff. So really, really nice guy. So it's always fun to talk about Greece in through that prism as well. Yeah. I, I, I want to, there's, I have some comments on some of the casting cause yeah. I, there's some other people that I want to talk about too, but I want to pause okay. in our regularly scheduled program yes. because Charles Kim in the. Con- uh, okay scenes in all of tv history and in and certainly from taxi which yeah. is what does a yellow light mean slow down slow Ooh. down what, what? does <laughs> yeah it is and it's one of those scenes where it keeps going so much longer than you think it could. Oh my God. Yeah. And it yeah. just gets funnier and funnier. So yeah. thank you, Charles Kim for bringing that up. Appreciate Everyone, it. when you're done with our show, you yes. can go on YouTube and do a search for it. It's very funny. Um, the other thing I want to say about the casting, what they did that's really smart is yeah. bring in people that are actors from the previous generation, like Sid Caesar, like yes. Eve Arden. Yeah, Eve Arden. Uh, yeah. And you have Frankie Avalon. So it's like they're actually connecting with the actual 50s with that casting. Yeah. yeah. I I, I feel like Sid Caesar is, I wish he was funnier. I mean, he's one of the great funny people of all time. Don't let him hear you say that, even though he's gone. And I, uh, No, I, 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 he is one of the great comedians of all time. I don't didn't find him that funny in this movie. Just saying. I, I would never say anything about Sid Caesar for fear that he'll come back <laughs> from the dead and kick my ass. 
he he's a he's a tough guy. He was, as we saw uh, Joseph Bologna's portrayal of totally Sid Caesar type in the, my favorite year. Yeah. Okay. Very, my very favorite true. year has now come up like ten times in the last. We're three gonna, months I, we have to do this. But we got to do it soon. Yeah, now. we got to do it. Let's hit some of these super chats, Steve, real quick. This Philip Bryan says, "Just because you gents inspire me, have a grand Sunday. Thank you for what you do." Hashtag Grease is the word. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. So so, thank you so much. You're always very generous. You are. Are you biking, Phil? Are you listening to us while you bike or are you sitting at home right now? Let us know. JMB says, even with the more recent successes of movies like La La Land, could you guys see another musical like Grease? Or is this a cultural lightning in a bottle or will it, so to speak, strike twice slash again? Thanks. Woo, JMB, you threw me. There's a number of run on sentences there, but let's parse this out. Could I see another musical like Grease or could we see another musical like Grease? Or just a cultural lightning in a bottle. I don't. For, for, I don't first of all, I think it was. I, I I think it's a cultural grease lightning in a bottle. I just wanted to clarify that. Oh lord! I, oh. I even interrupted you to make that you bad did. joke. You did. <laughs> <laughs> As a dad would do to tell his dad. Joke. Fair. Um, <laughs> I, I think it would be tough because I think it's still in the nineteen seventies. The people who grew up on the MGM musicals were, you know, kind of buying the tickets. Were showing up. I don't think there's quite, as we saw from West Side Story, only a $10 million opening, and it went down from there. I don't think musicals capture the world's um, attention in the way that it has in the past. Even Chicago, which is the second highest grossing musical ever, that's way back in the early 2000s. We've changed so much as a society. I think we're much more embittered, much more frustrated, much more angry that uh, people see musicals as a, as an escape as a, in a negative way in that, wow, you, who, who, who just walks around singing? You know, they make fun of it now. Uh, Steve's son is a perfect example, cringy to watch this musical. And maybe there are other musicals uh, he might like, but certainly the fact that he's cringy, feels cringy about one of the greatest musicals ever made and one of the musicals as a top grossing musical speaks volumes. So I don't know that we are necessarily ever going back. And even La La Land, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I didn't like that movie. So I don't see it as this touchstone musical. If anything, maybe the Disney musical movies have a chance. So maybe down the road, a Disney musical movie, kind of like the golden age of uh, the second golden age of Disney did, will capture our imagination and, and have us falling in love uh, with the songs and what's being shown in that. What do you think, Steve? So first of all, Jax does love singing in the rain. Oh, that's uh, good. So, so so he does. Dirk, and I think there was another musical that he likes. Okay. Um, I think it's really sad. Uh, by the way, I agree with you about La La Land. I'm sorry, Mr. Mance, but like, I, I, it was fine. I, I was I didn't understand so what the the big deal was about. Um, I think it's to, in the same way. I think it's sad that westerns have become an exception, not a genre. Yeah. You know, is yeah. that. Uh, and it's so ridiculous that people go oh man come on it's not really realistic for people to burst in a song hold on i'm gonna go see a marvel movie you know <laughs> like <laughs> movies aren't realistic yeah they are that you know we can do all sorts of things and the yeah. fact that we have said no 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 that's gonna be just every five years or so we'll do a musical and you're right man and i i said many times i think that the spielberg's west side story might be the greatest filmed musical of all time yeah certainly in the running and it fucking tanked yeah and so but i i I never underestimate the potential of a great film great film could come along and it just could be the right moment with the right song and just hit i I hope it happens i love musicals i'm gonna put something out there and i'll put out into the universe frequent guest of ours malena govich 
is building her directing resume. And I wonder if down the road, Steve, 10 years from now, Milena Govich has directed the most incredible musical ever, and it has become the highest grossing musical and could be a cultural touchstone of a musical down the road. I think it's very possible. Can we have uh, her composer husband, David Cornu, write the musical? Possibly, yes. It's up to her. I'm down (laughs) with that. I would love that. They love working together, so why not? We Um, can have them on the show. I am all for your plan. I think it sounds great. Um, I, it, it's so funny because it, one of the interesting things that I think draws you and I together is despite mm. our very different backgrounds, you and I both grew up loving musicals. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I listened to and I think it, it's like the predecessor of the fact that I became a book on tape person. Mm. But it's like it was listening to stories. So I listened to the Grease album, My Fair oh, Lady, yeah. Camelot. I've listened to all, you know, Sound of Music, all those classic musicals. I listened to them over and over again. And my parents took me to musicals regularly. So musicals were just a thing I grew up with. That's fascinating. I, I never gravitated to books on tape. But because I gravitated to music videos, I think you could say that that's influenced oh, by musicals. Absolutely. I consider those songs are performed within totally. the movie in between the talking. And are about you know a, a fantastical sequence, dance sequence, or fantastical singing going on, or or whatever in in the background there. That's a, a, I think an element of my love of musicals as well because those are mini stories within um, you know four to five minutes, just like those are mini stories in musicals within those four to five minutes for sure. Uh, J and B says, uh, in, uh, "Oh, Encanto may be my favorite U.S. though Colombian story." animation any chance you guys cover it i love that movie so much you guys are great thanks jmb you know we got the 10-year thing jmb so maybe i mean maybe not for a while i don't know we we have certainly said that we can and will break the 10-year rule at our whim we if we ch- if we choose to i don't know if in Conto- i really i totally like Encanto. yeah i, like- I think i think Encanto is great so i see no reason why we wouldn't cover it so maybe um, down the road, JMB. Maybe down yeah. the road we will cover it uh, and have some uh, fun. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, let's see if there's any stream labs that have come through. Let me take a look uh, real quick to the recent events. Oh, we've had a few come through. Let me read them. Steve, uh, Justin Toner. What's up, Justin? He says, hi, John and Steve. Glad you're feeling better finally, John. I am. Thanks so much, Justin. I appreciate it. Musicals is not my favorite genre, but there are some I really enjoy, and Grease is one of them. That is thanks to Travolta and Olivia Newton-John's performances. I need to rewatch it. It's been ages. Yeah, and it's out in a 4K version. Oh, really? Which is like 13 bucks. So if you want to get it, go to Amazon and or go to our website and buy it through our website on Amazon so we can get a little bit of pennies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um. Yeah, go ahead. What do you want to say? I was just going to say, I don't think the gorgeous cinematography of Greece will benefit that much from 4K, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, You're, a meanie. You're a big meanie, you know that. I, There's I, some beautiful listen, shots in that movie. Anyway, I think it, it, what's so funny to me, for me, mostly, it's the songs. When they're singing, I really like it. And when gotcha. they're talking, I like it less. And, it, you know, you brought up the, you know, the Sock Hop TV show. Yeah. That yeah. thing's amazing. And yeah, it goes band, on and on. Uh, sequence, yeah. Right? It's so much fun. Oh, yeah. I think it's great, you know. The, the drum beat is the um, is the hidden gem of that whole sequence. If that drum beat isn't the way it's going through the whole through that whole song and the changes and, you know, Danny getting ushered or uh, Sandy getting ushered out uh, for, um, oh, God, I forget her name, uh, for the Latina lady. Um, 
you know, it doesn't work. That drum beat keeps you on the edge the whole yeah. time as everything is happening and changing around from the opening of the dance all the way to the end of that where uh, Danny, oh, Cha-Cha, where Danny and Cha-Cha went. That right. Was her, yeah. Um, let's see. CYK225 says, I'm sure you're going to arrest, address this later, but what are your thoughts about the dead Sandy theory and flying to heaven at the end? That's what I told you. Uh, it's funny how this dead character theory even made it to Top Gun Maverick this summer. Love the show, gents. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, there are these dead character, not dead actor, dead character theories that happen in films. And as I said earlier, and maybe CYK225 wasn't uh, there at the beginning of our show, but I spoke about the fact that a lot of people think that uh, Zuko dies in the race and the rest of the movie is a fever dream and that Sandy is... Uh, Sandy's not around and it was saying that he's dead and it's all his visuals and the same thing with Top Gun Maverick I've heard this theory recently as well and look it, it's made it's money so if you haven't seen it I hate to break it to you there's a sequence in near the beginning where my man breaks Mach 10 and then the plane the, the plane explodes and we go to black frame and all of a sudden he's walking into this diner completely disheveled and covered with dust and dirt and every and and there's this theory that everything that happens after that is an absolute fever dream or death dream because everything works out he reunites with ice he trains them to do this way he even leads them on a star wars like thing and you know yeah. maverick would have probably loved a new hope and so all that uh, is there as the possibility oh, oh yeah and he gets with penny benjamin and it actually works out and so there's so much and makes up with goose's kid there's so much here that is about, you know, um, closure. And so a lot of people think that that's possible. Same thing with Gladiator. They think Gladiator, Gladiator right. dies and that everything after that is just a, a full-on fever dream. So, yeah. Well, there's also the whole uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is all in Cameron's head. Yes. You know, theory. Um, I watched the last hour of that movie recently, Steve, I think a few days ago. And I, in my whole head, I'm like, I'm watching this through the Cameron is dead theory. And it <laughs> totally fucking works. It's insane. Yeah. It's another one I'd love to do on the show. Oh yeah. We got to do Ferris Bueller. Absolutely. Uh, JB says, when may I expect that John Roca produced Steve Morris directed Star Trek musical? And have you guys seen robot chicken wrath of Khan opera? It's great. No, I have not seen that. I haven't seen it. And uh, robot chicken is Seth green who I, that he was in my first movie. So I oh. was roommates with him in North Carolina. 20 nice. years ago um but i have not seen it and i should the the uh john and steve star trek musical this is <laughs> i think we should put some real time into this uh, <laughs> tell you what let tarantino do his expletive laden <laughs> star trek film and then we'll come back with a musical mm -hmm. to get people to remember uh, what star trek's really all about uh but yeah everything's possible Oh, uh, dis no, I don't think Disenchanted, uh, I saw the trailer, I don't think Disenchanted is going to be the one that kind of gets people back on board. It doesn't look good, the trailer. And Michael Vogel yeah. even agreed. So if you know me and Michael look think a trailer looks bad it, it, for a musical. Yeah, it, it, it felt weird to me. Right? Yeah. I saw it too. So, I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Keep talking. Oh, I was just going to say, can, can I make you feel old for <sighs> a moment? Okay, sure. So You, you mean I seeing Alan all, seeing... Uh, Mike Farrell and Alan Alda. Mike Farrell and Alan Alda toast mash didn't make me feel old enough. Well, please go ahead. <laughs> so uh, the movie is 1978 about 1958. So it's yes. made about a period 20 years earlier. So that would be a, us making a movie today about 2002. Oof. 
that's the distance. But here's wow. the here, here's the kicker yeah. is that the distance between us, some like my son watching that movie now, yeah, it's 64 years ago is the period wow. that it's in. If we in 1978, when I was about my son's age, were yeah. to watch a movie that was in a period 64 years old, that is 1914. That is wow. the distance between my son and and Greece is the distance between us when we were kids and 1914. Yeah, there's a great Tracy Lawrence country song called Time Marches On. And that's for <laughs> yeah. sure. Time does march on. So here's the ages real quick. Stalker Channing was the oldest. She was 33. Um, she would have been three years younger than the age she is playing here in 1958 with, when the film is set. <laughs> uh, Michael Tucci was 31. Jamie Donnelly was 30. Annette Charles was 29. Olivia Newton-John was 28. Barry Pearl was 27. Jeff Conway was 26. Dee Dee Khan was 25. Travolta was 23. Uh, Dinah Manoff was 21, who I also had a crush on in the movie. Uh, Kelly Ward and Eddie Deason were 20. And Lorenzo Lamas was 19. So like I said, he's the youngest, but Stocker Channing being the oldest at 33. And of course, that isn't something that's new to Hollywood, even most, yeah. even recently, in the last few decades. I mean, 90210, they're all in their 20s playing these high school kids so yeah it, it happens nowadays i think they're more aware of it even tom holland playing spider-man that was the youngest looking or closest to high school spider-man that you'd ever seen even though tom was in his 20s is closest to looking uh, like high school uh, spider-man we've seen between him and Tommy mcguire and andrew garfield so i think they're getting a little more accurate about this kind of stuff certainly euphoria which really dives into it is uh accurate from the ages and what have you so yeah uh, that's a, a part of this as well so um yeah all right what what else um uh what else do you well, want to well, mention about Greece, my man there's i mean there's kind of an elephant in the room that we've sort of touched on that i think we got to hit maybe sure. a little bit more which is it was really weird watching summer lovin with my son okay because we've he's already as he's 11 yes already been impressing these ideas of consent i mean yes. those are things he started hearing about in kindergarten right you know and that song was a totally just normal. It, we, I don't think you bumped on it and I didn't bump on it. And I don't think anybody bumped on the fact the whole point of the song is guy bragging about. And, and a lot of the, mm. where we were was whether or not you had sex with her and pressuring a girl into having sex. And if she doesn't, you know, put out to use right. that language, right. you know, and that that's a huge part of the movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and that was weird to watch. Well, certainly when we were kids, we're, first of all, we're not aware that that song's about sex, right, necessarily, I think, when we were kids. But I probably could guarantee you there are a number of women, women who watched that musical at that time, the 20, who are 20, 30 years old, and hear those lyrics, and they know that situation. Yeah. Uh, and they're aware of that situation. And whether they're aware of it as it being wrong or not, or as a societal thing, is certainly something that can, could be explored with someone who watched it um, when she was at that age. Like, I wonder if your mother caught all that and was like, this is disgusting. I wonder, you know, I wonder if my mom caught it and was like, this is not cool. Well, what, what, uh, what I think is, I mean, like, A, I think there are a lot of women who saw that or saw things like that and remembered experiences they had yeah. that were pretty damn horrible. Yeah. But I also think that uh, it, it, it's funny. I'm listening now. Uh, to James Mishner's The Source, which I had mm -hmm. never read. And it's written, I think, in the 50s. And hearing the male-female stuff is just so funny how 
how they viewed how men and women inter interacted or are supposed to yeah. interact or what women were thinking because yeah. you know guys would just write well this is obviously what they're thinking and looking at now it's like oh that's kind of weird and the world that we yeah. were raised in the idea that women would resist and men would push yeah. that was just normal that was the world we were raised in sadly you know? um yeah, it was the we got the those cues from movies, from TV, yep. from our family members, sometimes our own fathers. Um, certainly, this idea, and it's not that you're taught to hey, get what you can. I hope no. those guys aren't done, but it's more a matter of like you see that this is what everyone else is doing, and you think this is the way it goes. Again, I go back to this idea: when you're young, you're impressionable. You don't know, oh, yeah. you know, and so like if. I, I'm sure there are girls that I dated in high school that I like, I, I you know, that I might've tried to push to feel her, her breast or something like that. Like you're in your mind, like, like how far can I get? Cause that's yep. the mentality of dudes. That's what you were trained to believe. And so now, of course, looking back on it, it's pretty bad. It's horrific to think about, you know, some of that. And I, and I always give credit to my friend, friend Clark Wolf. Cause a few years ago, she was on the outlaw nation show pot when it was a podcast. And we had a really illuminating discussion about what the woman's point of view is like all being on the other side of that. And I guess I'd never really heard that before. And the way she laid it out, it absolutely sent me for a loop for a long time to revisit some of those things. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything crazy, but like you have those moments where you're a young guy and you're exploring and how far can you push? And certainly this song highlights the male approach versus the female approach was it's and it's stereotypical sure because it's a musical sure. it's not gonna go that deep but it is the woman who's going like you know i'm looking for love and i was out for love and he treated me really well and he was great and here's him bragging to all the guys oh no she got down in the sand you know these these things there's a difference right he's trying to impress his bros yep in how he's talking about this even though it's denigrating sandy the respect and honor of sandy the woman he's supposed the, the girl he's supposed teenager he supposedly loves you know you you can understand why it's happening but there is something to take away from it for criticism wise to say yeah this is pretty not cool that he is doing this kind of thing but that's the arc right the arc is him being caught up in trying to be the cool guy and by the end he realizes i can't be hanging around with you t-birds anymore i can't be doing i love sandy and in, look, for people who say that it's, it's just a woman who changes bullshit, by the end, Danny is saying to the T-Birds, I can't lead you guys around anymore. What do you think this is? I got to move on. And that's why he's wearing the letter jacket because he wants to impress Sandy. He says, I got to get Sandy back because he knows what he lost and he loves her. And so he's willing to change. And the fact that he's wearing his letter jacket and not his leather jacket, right. it's amazing. One letter making the difference between actually being really cool, which is the person who accepts responsibility and knows how to respect the woman he's with versus the guy who's wearing the fucking leather jacket and wants to act all cool. It's amazing how one letter in those two words, letter and leather, make the difference in how you're looked at and how this is approached by the end. So that's the journey that he's on. So yes, it's cringeworthy at the time, but I think maybe it's supposed to be because he's going on this journey of self-discovery and progressing and evolving because her love for him is important to him. His love for her is important to him. And he wants to change and be a better person for her. Yeah. Never heard the idea that leather and letter. <laughs> but I'm going to, now I got to just blow your mind a little bit. It yeah. also stands, John, for love. Oh, it's true. Well 
It's truth. Um, I mean, I don't think Grease is a deep movie, and I don't, I don't think right. we, right, you know right. we should try to make it a, a deep movie. It's not. I think it, and and I also think, you know, like this is something we talked about from the beginning. The cinephiles is yeah. yes, we can look at it from today's perspective and say how that makes us feel today, but also this was just fun. That was yeah. "Summer Lovin'" is a really funny song yeah. that everybody loved. I mean, it played on the radio. People do it know. in karaoke still, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there it's are a, many feminist women who have sang "Summer Lovin'" at a yeah. karaoke bar because it's just a song, you know. Well, and it's true. I mean, like, yeah, right, did right. particularly then more, hopefully then more than now, but did guys brag about what they got with a woman? And uh, you know, I was thinking as we've been talking, this, like, I mean, yeah. we literally described it as a baseball game and trying to get to the next base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is the framing yeah, of of what was you were. Oh, I got to second base. Oh, wow. Okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, Billy Crystal has a great, if you guys go back and listen to Billy Crystal's stand-ups in the 1980s, he has this thing, because the way we talk about, it's terrible. He's like, you know, dudes are terrible about that. And even Billy was kind of progressive in talking about this. This is 1980s. He's saying this in his stand-up, saying like, I fucked the shit out of her. We use the worst description. Like women are like, you know, the birds flew out and the, the song angels were singing. And here we are talking about it in a way that is brutal and rough and un and ugly and it's he's like i don't understand it you know we turn it into something different and um and and it's so ironic because that's also when harry met sally he is i mean it's so funny to look at when harry met sally it'd be fun to revisit it against because it's been very very long time and i don't know if i brought this up because it's been a long time since we talked about it but like i would i wonder if the if billy crystal was like okay but you got to make harry like a ladies man he's got to be a lothario he's got to be so good at this thing you know like the whole thing with him and Bruno Kirby was like, I made, I, I made, I took her to a place and wasn't meow. human. I made a woman meow. This whole thing is, is like about his sexual prowess, right? Can you do it when Harry met Sally? Why does he, without him being uh, sexually promiscuous or having, or being really good in bed, you know, is that, was that Billy with the, a little bit of the antiquated ideas of masculinity back in the 1980s as well? I wonder. Well, that's the, this is the amazing thing, and we could go all the way back to like Huckleberry Finn about this, is that a movie which is, or yeah. a piece of art which is hugely progressive for its time, which when yeah. Harry Met Sally absolutely is. It was, nobody, yes. Yeah, nobody had talked about relationships and sex yeah. and, True. you know, all of that stuff. Like, when I mean, it literally comes from, uh, you know, Nora Ephron and, and Rob Reiner yeah. and Billy Crystal, like having these conversations and having these very very frank conversations that's where you get when harry and sally and that looking at it now there are elements that we go oh that's a little dated you know that's yeah. a little um and, and which is again why you don't throw out huckleberry finn you appreciate it for what it is yes the n-word is throughout huckleberry finn yeah, yeah but huckleberry finn is a hugely huge step forward in terms of the way to think about race yeah. you know and it, it feels weird reading it now, but you don't throw it out. And we don't throw out when Harry met Sally and we don't throw out Greece, you know? Yeah. No, hell no. Um, let's hit some trivia on this. Um, Sandy was originally offered to Lucy Arnaz of all people, Lucy Paul's daughter. Um, but they wanted her to screen test. And so Lucy Ball called the studio as the mama bear and said, I used to own that studio. My daughter's not <laughs> doing a screen test. Um, and Ball, uh, she was considered for Rizzo. Sorry, not Sandy, Rizzo. Mm. And that was, uh, you know, they made the... I, I personally think the film would not have worked with um, Lucy Arnaz, who was a limited actress uh, in the role of Rizzo. I think someone like Stockard, who A, was a brunette, 
had the shorter hair and has that had this has a kind of aggressive uh, energy to her was a great choice for Rizzo. So that when you see her singing that song, once again, about what's actually going on for her, what actually this life is like being the tough woman and the tough broad or whatever, that it is kind of sad for her sometimes because she feels so lonely because of these kind of things. Once again, yet another character in the film that is putting on a front. And ironically, it was her that was trying to accuse Sandy of putting on a front when she herself is putting on a front. It's a fascinating change for her by the end as well. She's more vibrant. The costume changes for brighter colors. It's it's great to see her performance as well. I don't think Lucien Arnaz would have gotten that performance. I, I, I mean... I am not all that familiar with Miss Arnez's work. I mean, I've seen her, you know, <laughs> you here Neil as a jazz singer. She was the wife. I had totally forgotten that. Um, <laughs> I did see that, but I really haven't thought about that film very much. What? That film is so great as a, as a cheesy 19, um, late 1970s, 80s film. Yeah. But I will, I think Stockard Channing steals every scene she's in. I yeah. think she's so great. And I think she's in, she she is a comp. She's the most complicated character in the film. I think uh, what is the song? It's uh, there are worse things I can do. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I mean, she is incredible in that song. And what's amazing about it? Just going to the the what we were just talking about. Yeah. she's what I would call, you know, for the time, an incredibly sex positive character. Yeah, like her whole point right. is. Like all these guys are sleeping around and that's rewarded. Why can't I just be what I want to be? Yeah. Like, you know, what, why can't I be me? And it, and it's so uh, powerful. I think, I think she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's fascinating to think about that. And, and that's a great point. Yeah. The, 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 we're saying Greece is not that heavy of a film yet. There are some there's stuff. There's stuff. Heavy stuff here. In, in certain uh, journeys of the characters and certain arcs that are happening with the character, even Kaniki, like Kaniki is, he's that guy, the way Conway plays him, he's that guy that's always going to be the, what do you call the beta to the alpha? He is always going to, he, he'll be an alpha in certain circles, but he's always going to be the beta to the alpha, which is why in that moment when he gets hit in the head and he falls down and you know, all of that with the penny and all of that, like, um, there's a, a real change in his face when he finally acquiesces to Danny mm. uh, driving the car. You know, he understands, uh, you know, I, I'm not the hero of this story. It's, it is him. And I've got to accept that it's him. And so it's like that. It's that just that one sequence, that one scene. There's so much that Conway is doing with his acting that I think is fantastic. You know, and well, Didi Khan too, with the beauty school dropout. I mean, that whole sequence she is dealing with the fact that she could she she failed at trying to pursue this dream of being in a beauty school and the song is really showing her like how much of a failure she was and you see Didi reacting to the song in a way that gives you levels to what she's portraying and i think that's one of the things that people enjoy about the movies the sense of authenticity within the actors in the characters they're creating and portraying even in sort of even when it's a little ridiculous it's I, I agree with you there's an authenticity and it's funny just as you were saying that i'm like man for a happy joyful music yeah there's a lot of losing and reversals you know yeah i mean right yeah i mean beauty school dropout getting you know pregnant that yeah. you know there's a lot of stuff i mean yeah he wins the race right um which by the way that race is so it's, it's great so i it's great. And I love the Ben-Hur 
you know, spikes on the side of the wheels and all that. It's it's really fun. It's so good. Nice references. I mean, the blue jacket Danny is wearing at the beginning of the movie, that's a reference to Rebel Without a Cause. It's very, of course, mm. it is red in the movie, but it's blue in this one. And as I said, the hair, the pompadour is kind of a an Elvis thing that Travolta wanted to put in there um, as well. And don't forget, we spoke about the Bee Gees. Barry Gibb um, wrote Grease, the opening right. song that Frankie Valli sings. And that song is much more harder than people give it credit for the lyrics of Greece. You know, it's, it's kind of like, and that's what people forget about staying alive, that that song is not a disco song. It is a disco beat, whatever, but that song's lyrics is about surviving it when in the 1970s, when like money was scarce, the oil shortages, all these things, the, the crime was rising blackouts in big cities like it is about literally trying to stay alive in a world that is falling apart. If you parse out the lyrics of staying alive and ignore the disco beat or whatever, the lyrics are pretty hardcore. So for all these accusations of Barry Gibb being like, oh, the soft ass Bee Gees, they were writing about some really hardcore shit that was going on in our world. They just happened to put it to fucking disco beats instead of like the clash punk rock beats. It's just two different things. But the lyrics themselves are pretty strong, you know? It's why this is off the topic, but it just popped in my head Ooh. of having like upbeat stuff with really dark lyrics. Is there is one Beatles song? I mean, the Beatles in general, yeah, are kind of happy. You know, there are songs about love. The There's first not a few lot of... albums, yes, and then it becomes much more darker about the world. Yeah, there are dark things about the world, but well, I should, I'll just say the song, which is a song I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to see you with another man. Right. Those are the early songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it comes out. It's like, wait, wait you know, because you're like oh, singing yeah. along and it's lots of fun. And then you hear the lyrics. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of early Beatles songs that are pretty like uh, physically, violently threatening <laughs> women that they're with. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, well um, yeah. one of the ones that I, again, it's off topic, but, but it, there was this moment where I'm listening to uh, Please Please Me. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, yeah. wait, is this a song about oral sex? Because the song is, last night I said these words to my love. Why, why do, uh, I'm trying to remember the lyrics now. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Please, please me. Oh, yeah, the way that I please you. Yeah, so clearly it, he's handling his business. He's, he's taking care of business, and he doesn't feel that she's keeping up her end. I mean, listen, I can't remember all the lyrics now, but listen to it sometime. You're like, oh, wait, what's this song about? Yeah, that's a fair point. But look, here's just a sample of the Grease lyrics, right? This is a life of illusion, wrapped up in trouble, laced with confusion. This is a high school song? I mean, this is a song about it. what are we doing here? We take the pressure and we throw away. Conventionality belongs to yesterday. There is a chance that we can make it so far. We start believing now that we can be who we are. Grease is the word. So again, the lyrics themselves talking about ripping away the old expectations of what our parents have for us and creating a new reality, which, of course, this film came out in the 70s, which was all about like breaking away from the baby boom or no, wait, breaking away from the 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 generation that had come before the, the greatest generation right, that had come out of World War Two and their ideas of conventionality. And the song itself is very clearly about like embracing who you are and finding a new way and everybody doubting us. Even the beginning, right? You know, they think our love is just a growing pain. Why don't they understand? It's just a crying shame. Their lips are lying. Only real is real. We stop the fight right now. We got to be what we feel. Grease is the word. You know, we take the pressure and we throw it away. So there's there's so much about that within the lyrics, sorry, within the lyrics that I think are fantastic. And I think that's another thing that kind of subconsciously connects to people when they're hearing these lyrics 
because every generation wants to rip off the shackles of the generation and the expectations of the generation from before. Uh, and so that's why I think these songs are timeless because they represent pushing back against these conventions and these expectations um, because every generation wants women to act a certain way and guys to act a certain way. Every generation does, you know, and I think that's, uh, we sometimes have to take a look at the, the fact that we were the rebels. Now we're the, we're the um, hard asses or we're the traditionalists, which yep. is a very hard thing for a former rebel to accept, but it's, you know, you look at it sometimes you have to be honest, you know? Well, I, I, I hadn't really thought about those lyrics, but you're absolutely right. And I think it's more than that because, What's Danny's problem? Danny is trying to create an image yes. that isn't a, where he really loves Sandy, right. but he's trying to maintain this cool. And Sandy's try, you know, wants to be with Danny, but is this pure one and Rizzo's yeah. coming up against, you know, what a woman is supposed to be and can't she right. just be her? I mean, they're all struggling with who am I supposed to be and can't I just be right. myself? Yeah. And we never see their parents. That's true. It's a good right? point. I mean, the closest we come to parental vibe is the school teachers and the principals right. leave Arden uh, and since these are there and, but also, and also at the, at the shop, the malt shop with the two waitresses, which is ironically, one of them I think is Travolta's sister. Um, they have that and the older kind of heavier set with the white hair lady. She's got the maternal energy there. And so also kind of reflecting, you know, a little bit of this break between the kids and the parents, you know, being out on their own, kind of figuring things out and how they do it. And I think you could accept it because these are people that subconsciously you see them and they don't look like 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old yeah. kids, right? Teenagers. So that makes the difference. Um, uh, we're almost at the hour and a half mark, Steve, anything more that you want to talk about with, uh, with Greece and ladies and gentlemen, please send in your stream labs or super chats here as we wrap up over the next 10 minutes. Uh, anything you want to throw in Steve? Well, I, I was just thinking, and I've seen people kind of talking about this in the comments of, you know, the, the love of the 70s for the 50s, you know, because yeah. between American Graffiti and Happy Days in Greece, there was just, and, and and in my mind, it was sort of, well, it's the 20 years later. And so the people that grew up in the 50s are now the adults making stuff. Yeah. But I also think in a weird way, the 50s are so visually iconic and specific mm -hmm. that it's so doing a period piece there as opposed to doing a period piece in 2007 you know, like, it, yeah. are, are those periods, is the 90s, the 80s, the early 2000s, are they as recognizable, both in terms of visually and in terms of culture as the 50s were? You know, maybe they are, and I can't yeah. see it as well. Yeah, uh, maybe, dude, uh, because it's tough for us to be in that mindset and in that time to see it that way, you know, so it's quite possible. Um, here's one little bit of tid, uh, trivia that I forgot to bring up, but I should bring up because we've been talking about some of the sexual things in this, and this film, and this film is, is kind of subtly very sexual, by the oh, way, yeah. a lot of allusions to sexual stuff throughout the movie is Steve talked about Rizzo being sex positive. As I mentioned earlier, the idea of wrapping the car in uh, saran wrap being kind of wrapping up your, your, uh, member, shall we say? And so <laughs> there's a lot of that there, but, uh, Sid Caesar was not the original choice for the coach. Oh, they had cast Harry Reams of deep throat fame as the coach. And when people started to find out that this was happening, there were protests. P people were calling the studio in protest. And that's when they went with Sid Caesar or changed and went with someone else, which was which ended up being <laughs> Sid Caesar. So I find that incredibly ironic in so many ways. 
if you had if you had for put you to put this in the form of a question and say, listen, yeah. Steve, who do you think was originally cast before Sid Caesar? <laughs> I would have gone through every actor in Hollywood history before yeah. I got to Harry Reams. <laughs> I would never have I mean, that is so bizarre. I've never even seen that damn movie, so I have no idea. Not only have uh, I seen it, and well. this again shows how weird. So when I was at Cal, my freshman yeah. year, I was at Bowles Hall, which was if you if you're near the football stadium, there is a building that looks like an old castle, uh -huh. and that is a dorm. Um, and that was where I was my freshman year, and it was all male. So it yeah. was like, and and had been an all male dorm since the twenties. Yeah. And so it wasn't a fraternity, but it had fraternity like traditions. Yeah. And one night they had a screening of Deep Throat in the lounge. Oh wow. Okay. So 40 guys sitting in a lounge watching Deep Throat. And I, wa I watched 10, 15 minutes and I went, this is really weird. Yeah. And I was like, that, that whole era of guys sitting down and watching porn together as a group was just like, I don't understand. I don't understand what this is. And I <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've never understood that. It's, a, it's such a weird thing to me. Um, let me throw one more out at you, uh, Steve. You know, you've mentioned uh, Danny punching people. You're obsessed with Danny punching people in this movie. Obsessed well, is a strong word, but okay. <laughs> no, just yes, I, I felt it was weird. <laughs> the guy he punches during the basketball game who gets the ball from him, mm -hmm. that is Michael Bean from really Alien and Terminator fame. That is Michael Bean. Wow. Go and take a look back and watch that scene, and it is absolutely Michael Bean. That is hilarious. And also 1978, was something going on in 1978 because we also got the Buddy Holly story. Mm. which kind of launched um, Gary Busey and hot American hot wax. Remember that was kind of a version of American graffiti about, about the, the um, records that were DJ being a DJ in the 1950s. So there was, there was something about the, you know, every once in a while, you know, Hollywood kind of copies itself or, or they're of a universal group think and films come out at a certain time, you know? So uh, that's another part of this as well. Um, and one more thing, Adrian Barbeau was apparently had played Rizzo on Broadway. Hmm for a number of years, but they passed her over for Stalker Channing. So I feel like Barbeau, if she could, if she could clearly because she played it, Barbeau would have been an interesting choice. Talk about sex positive. That woman radiated I mean, sex. Uh, you know, to, to talk, talk about early crushes. Yeah. Adrian oh, Barbeau. Yeah. Please. Please escape from New York. Enough said. Enough said. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything uh, more to say? I should hit um, the one last stream that we got in here from Sid. Oh, see, I told you not to fuck around with Sid. You, 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 you God damn it. He says, hi, John and Steve. This is from the grave, obviously. Why are you not doing a Federico Fellini film or a Sergio Leone film? Uh, those are two of the best filmmakers in their films, like Eight and a Half or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, should be given proper treatment on the cinephiles. Uh, Sid sent in one whopping dollar to tell us that. So here's what I'll say to you, Sid. I know that Steve and I have talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly numerous Many times. times. Yeah. So that is on par and in fact, on tap rather. And in fact, I just recently, and I told this to Steve, I texted him, I bought off Kino Lorber. I bought the um, uh, trilogy, the no name, the man with no name trilogy for 4k on 4k for $23 each. They have a great sale going on right now. If you haven't bought those or own those in 4k, I would highly, especially good, the bad, and the ugly. I highly suggest you get them off the Kino Lorber website. So Steve and I will absolutely be doing that. Fellini, I don't know. Not I your like thing, I know. I don't know. I didn't like eight and a half. And it's, you know, I, maybe I'll sit this, that one out and you can do it with Elena who loves eight and a half. I just couldn't, I cannot get into Fellini stuff. It's, it's just too out there for me for that type of, for Italian cinema. You know, I right. can be out there with Malik. I can be out there with other things. 
But with that, I just I just don't vibe with it. But if Steve ever wanted to do it, I wouldn't say no. And I'd, you know, have the conversation with him and do the film, which might be illuminating on so many. I mean, they're not my favorites. I've watched I think I've watched eight and a half once. I, you know, I've watched a couple of the other ones and went, this isn't this is interesting. Yeah, weird. (laughs) Like, but I didn't get emotionally involved. Um, we definitely talked about the Sergio Leone movies yeah. many, many times. So, yeah, yeah. It, you know, just I, I feel like particularly with Cinephiles Live that, you know, we've we've gotten more done, but yeah. there's an infinite number of movies we have not touched. And there's always someone going, why the fuck haven't you done this movie or why haven't you tackled this director? And it's like, we're trying to. We're trying. It's, it's not like, a yeah. matter of it's, we don't, it's not because we don't. Well, maybe Fellini, we don't want to, but certainly not with the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's about timing it's about what we've got going on it's about also what you guys don't understand sometimes a little behind the scenes is we also want to balance things out so that we're not just doing depressing films for six months it's exhausting for both of us to dive into those worlds so we like to balance things out plus views clicks downloads those are all important and so we have to balance out a little more popular films with more artistic films so we have a nice balance as we go out throughout the year so those are the things that we actually focus on as well we're not just picking names out of a hat it's very much about how we program our year so that you all can enjoy it and we can enjoy it so you're getting our full commitment to these movies when we record our uh discussions about these movies if i I can say that you you absolutely can i agree with everything you said and and it would be really funny for people to see how often we say Okay, yeah, we're definitely going to do that one soon. <laughs> and then for yeah. whatever, re- like, I mean, I mean, how long, how many times have we said we're going to do Raging Bull? How many times oh, yeah. have we said we're going to yeah. do Bridge on the River Kwai? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's so many movies where it's like, absolutely, we have to do it. Yeah. There probably were three or four in this conversation. Oh, yeah. But we can only do so much, you know? Come on, people. Help us out, for God's sake. Yeah. Gandhi. Yeah, we just finally did Gandhi. And that's been six years, six years in the making. So, yeah. Great point. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you all so much for joining us for this live episode of The Cinephiles. We appreciate it madly. Um, you know, our love and uh, thoughts of comfort to the family of Olivia Newton-John, you know, for, for the passing of such an incredible artist who will leave a, who's left a legacy that will endure for generations to come. I mean, generations to come. Not just Greece, but also Xanadu. That is a very big movie in the gay community. So uh, she oh, yeah. will be living on for years and years and de- decades and decades. Plus, her songs are so incredible, and they stand the test of time. Uh, and her voice and her energy is one of those ones that people want to celebrate forever. So we'll never hear the last of Olivia Newton-John, and we'll never hear the last of Grease, who has one of the greatest musicals, filmed musicals ever made, for sure. Uh, Steve, any final words before we wrap up? Or And we should tell people where they can find us and everything we got going on. Uh, I don't know if I have final words on Greece, but I okay. definitely can say that you can find us at Cine underscore files on Twitter, Cinephiles Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> of course, we're on Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, where you should leave a review. We're right here on YouTube. And if you haven't hit like and subscribe and you've listened to this whole thing, then I feel that not only have you disrespected us, but you've disrespected <laughs> John Travolta and the memory of Olivia Newton-John. I yeah. took that one too far. What the F? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that joke, you know, was going along and I was like, yeah. I took that too far. But we would love you to, to like and subscribe this video. And if you want to follow me, SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram and Enterprise Incidents, which I saw some very nice compliments of in the comment feed. Oh, Thank nice. you. Okay. Uh, we are now, we just recorded Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, which is in the third season near the end. Uh, John is going to come on for a show very soon in the next few yeah. weeks, uh, but we're almost at the end of the original series, which is, uh, I feel a sense of accomplishment and it's making me sad. A bittersweet feeling for yeah. sure. 
yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was afraid my COVID was going to strike at the time we were going to record that episode. So I'm thankful that I've gotten past it so that we can do that uh, down the road. Even today when I was, I'm so paranoid about getting it again. Even today, I was at a breakfast place having brunch with my girlfriend and the two dogs that were dog sitting. The, I asked for a refill and the iced tea. She took the top off, refilled it. As she's walking past the cashier, the cashier turns and sneezes into her elbow right by my open iced tea as it's walking by. I received the iced tea very nicely from the lady, walked out, drove home, and poured it out into the sink. Because in no way am I going to get this thing again. I'm working so hard to never get this thing again because two weeks was more than enough to miss yeah. so many great things and i don't and especially the cinephiles but you know i, I don't want to do it again and great job hosting last week steve that was a fantastic show so many it was great hard things. man those guys yeah, I don't, sure it was i don't envy you doing that all the time that's hard it is but it you know you get used to it but they, they were all great and so it was a great yeah. mixture of our former guests if you guys haven't seen that live show that is up on our channel as well go and watch that a lot of fun conversations on that one all right uh as for me you can follow me at the roca says on twitter instagram and tiktok the outlaw nation on twitch and my youtube channel youtube.com slash John Roca. Thank you all so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next week or we'll talk to you next month with another brand new The Cinephiles Live episode here on The Cinephiles YouTube channel. Take care until then. Grease is the word.